Today's Bible reading is from Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Thank you, Sophie. Hi, um, this is Taeyang. Uh, it's my great privilege to share the gospel together with you guys. And let's talk to God first. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you brought us before your word. Uh, please speak to us, speak to our hearts, help us listen to your guidance and live out by our identity shaped by your grace. In your precious name, amen. Imagine we are watching an old movie intro. This movie is about a Jewish prisoner who has discovered the compelling and life-giving drama of God's redemption in Christ, but is now under house arrest in first century Rome. He is writing a letter, as he is also known as Paul, the letter writer. But when he is about to write, for the sake of you Gentiles, suddenly it's like something pops into his mind. He couldn't continue the line. So he has to put a dash. Then he moves on to inform or remind his readers about how they could be a part of God's salvation plan for the whole world. This is a visual picture that I can draw from today's passage to explain why you see the dash at the end of the, verse, the first verse of chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you, Gentiles, dash. 
So let's begin with noticing how Paul starts here. He starts with the words, for this reason. So we need to do some sloth work to see the context. The for this reason actually links back to chapter 2, verse 22. The verse says, And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So that's the big idea clearly running through the letter of Ephesians. So it shows us that our identity as a church, which is made up, which is made up of both Jews and Gentiles being built together. It's about a new family, a new people of God brought together by God's grace. This is our identity as a church, and that's how you and I are part of God's family. As we continue our preaching series on our identity, I'd like to explore tonight how the mystery of God shapes Paul's identity and ours. So have a look at verse 1 again. Now Paul moves on to how his identity is established for his unifying plan of God. So do you see how Paul identifies himself in verse 1? He says he is a prisoner of Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles to whom he is writing. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Uh, Technically, he is a prisoner of the Roman Emperor Nero. So why has he established his identity as the prisoner of Christ Jesus rather than Nero? There are two key words that explain the reason for his imprisonment. Have a look at verses 2 to 3. Surely, You have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. So Paul talks about having been given by grace a revelation of God's God's mystery. So as you probably noticed, the term administration and mystery are two key words in the theme of the whole letter. So let's start with the term administration first. The term here refers to the plan of God's grace, but it literally means household rules in the original language. So it describes the way God rules his household, which is his world. How God rules his world. Let me give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, Gun Hee Lee, a previous chairman of the Samsung Group, passed away. He is credited with the transformation of Samsung to become the world's largest manufacturer of smartphones, televisions, and memory chips. Some of you are using that gadgets. 
Many South Korean media outlets paid tribute to his life, illuminating his famous quote. Here it is. Change everything except your wife and your children. The quote was much talked about at the time. Kearney first said it in 1993 in an employee's meeting. And many South Korean businessmen have repeated it since. For him, Gun Hee, innovation was his business philosophy. He focused so much on innovation because he viewed it as the way to compete and survive in business world. But God's focus is on grace. God rules his household by grace. In verses 19 to 22 in chapter 2 remind us that God's household is a work in progress and prepare us for the ethical reflections which follow in chapters 5 to 6. We'll be talking later. God has a plan to build a house composed of people, both Jews and Gentiles, and he will do that by the working of his grace. And second, see the word mystery, which describes God's plan. And Paul uses the word four times in our passage today, verse 3, verse 4, 6, and verse 9. So what is that word, mystery? There are two ways this term can be misunderstood. First, the pagan religions of the day use the term mystery to refer to secret knowledge known only by a few insiders for inner circles. Second, when you and I think of mystery, we often think of something hidden that it's our job to discover. For example, researchers around the world are seeking to solve mysteries about many diseases, in particular COVID-19 at the moment. So if in the near future a cure is found for COVID-19, the whole world will rejoice greatly. In our scripture for today, Paul uses the word mystery in exactly the opposite way. It means an unveiled secret. It's something once unknown to humans, revealed by God to apostles and prophets like Paul. And whenever Paul uses it, it has something to do with the gospel. In other words, Paul used it to refer to part of God's plan that had previously been known only to God himself, but now has been revealed to all the world, so it can be proclaimed to everyone. More specifically, Paul explains what the mystery is. So let's have a look. His Summary statement is in verse 6. The mystery is that through the gospel, 
The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Notice also Paul's repetition of the word together. Heirs together, members together, and sharers together. This stresses the equality of Gentiles and Jews in Christ. So how can it be a mystery that the Gentiles can become children of God and God's church through the gospel? So we need to understand this in the light of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had to become a Jew to be a child of God. But in the New Testament, Gentiles do not become people of God by becoming Jews, but children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how shocking this might sound to both Jews and Gentiles when this was first proclaimed? The gospel was unexpected. No one had anticipated the Son of God becoming a man in the incarnation. No one had expected him to suffer and die to redeem people from their sins. No one had predicted his resurrection from the dead. And no one had foreseen the uniting of Jews and Gentiles in his body, the church. That the Gentiles would be blessed had been known since the Abrahamic covenant. The surprise was that they would be united with the Jews on an equal footing. So now here's something else worth noticing. Paul says that Christ is the most important key to this revelation. So have a look at verse 4. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. I think the point Paul is making is pretty obvious. Paul is hoping that the readers will come to understand his insight into the mystery of Christ and the new people of God. In Jesus, the Father brings all people together in one body, the church, which is the united people and family of God. We become part of God's family by putting our trust in Jesus, not by changing our nationality or our religion. Christ alone, faith alone, we see the heart of the gospel. Now, God's grace and power continues to be a vital part of Paul's identity and his mission. Uh, Have a look at uh, verse 7. I become a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So Paul is now presented as one who has become a servant of the gospel. So Paul not only understood the mystery of God, but became the worker of the mystery by God's divine grace and power. 
Even though Paul, as less than the least of all the Lord's people, was unworthy. So if we remember his past, Paul could have been paralyzed by his simple past, rendered ineffective by his sense of unworthiness. Instead, he viewed his past through the lens of God's grace. Paul had experienced the forgiveness he preached. He understood that any success he experienced was the working of God's grace and God's power. So Paul's life purpose was to serve this mystery that is no longer mysterious. So what did it mean for him to be a servant of the gospel? Part of that it meant was that he had counted the cost. Paul suffered for the sake of the church in Ephesus. It's not even as though the suffering was in the past. Since he was imprisoned at the time, he wrote this epistle. But he encouraged his audience by saying that his suffering was actually their glory, by which he may mean that it will work for their ultimate good in glory. It's an example of how God continues to work through him, even in his humble and humbled condition. Paul had been commissioned by God to preach to the world the boundaries riches of Christ. So this was a serious responsibility, as you know, for the gospel was a revelation of a wonderful mystery. He understood the tremendous privilege, and he, had, and he had been given as the apostle to the Gentiles. The message of God's grace is the most important one ever preached. Even so, Paul understood that the focal point was not himself as a messenger, but rather God's plan of salvation, the good news of the gospel, the boundaries, riches of God. So that's what I want to show you today. We need to be reminded that this wonderful message should not just affect Paul's understanding of himself, his identity, his calling, but that of anyone who follows Jesus. Paul and you and I also have a role to reach out to others. Now we see that Paul's identity as the prisoner of Christ Jesus and a servant of the gospel is ultimately in the service of the church's role in God's mystery and mission. And do you see what a massive claim Paul is making in verse 10? His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It is remarkable that the revelation of mystery of God's plan is intended 
not only for people, but also for spiritual world. Paul's writing in Ephesians helps us to see that, to see the true identity, the true reality, that bigger cosmic reality, a reality that's actually written into the very DNA of the church. You get a sense of that in the verse. So notice how the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms recognize these truths through church. However, I wonder what you think when you read this passage. Uh, You may be curious as to who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Let me explain a little bit of what's going on here. Some scholars think they are angels with God, which means good angels. But in the letter of Ephesians, they are the rebel spirits. So have a look at chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggles is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul says, they are spiritual forces we should fight against. Again, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing of them by the cross. So in both books, we see the display of God's wisdom even to those who oppose him, to against him. We as a church are a tangible reminder to demons that their authority has been broken and that Jesus Christ is victor and that he is on the move. God uses our identity as a church as a proof to the spiritual realm that his kingdom is victorious. So please be encouraged by our cosmic identity. What Paul says is that our lives and EPC have a cosmic significance. We are displaying the gospel to the world around us as well as in the heavenly realm by our identity. We are talking, we are taking our identity as people who belong to Jesus and part of bigger, much, much bigger cosmic picture. That sounds glorious, doesn't it? I know we can sometimes be tempted to limit Jesus' saving work to our own personal relationship with God. But Christ's work blows apart the dividing line between the sacred and the secular, between the physical and the spiritual, between what we do in the church and what we must do in the world. Everything is included in God's design and purpose accomplished in Christ. 
That's part of what Paul says in chapter 1, verse 10. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, who is head of everything. Because we are demonstrating that God's victory is real. The racial and the cultural dimensions of the gospel empowered reconciliation found in Christ. And God's plan to bring everything together under Christ is happening already in this strange little gathering called the church. So the unity we seek is not to be of our own making, no matter how hard we seek it. I know it's not easy. But it's found in the biblical reality that reflects God's desire for many people's one in Christ. We are living out our DNA and call it identity of unity when we make sure that putting Jesus first is at the core of everything we do as a church. It's our calling to live that unity out in every way we can. Now as we finish up, uh, let me tell you one practical way that we can try to do this. It's very simple. Everyone can do. Participate in guess who's coming to lunch. Uh, this activity is not just a chance to practice hospitality, but to live out and build our unity in a different way. It's a way to respond to our identity as a part of the united body of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you provided salvation for all nations. May this revealed mystery shape our lives and guide us to praise and serve you today. Help us to remind ourselves of our identity as a united body of a work in progress. In your precious name, amen.